Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much, Megan, for leading us. What an incredible declaration. And I know so many of us, especially in that song and in this season that perhaps we are in, whether it is a season of questioning and doubting or wondering or searching or suffering or A, B, C, or D, I know that it's just so good for us to be in community and to remind ourselves of the goodness of God, the consistency of God, the promises of God as we're searching in the hope of God. And so, amen, amen. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge Community Church. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jordan. If this is your first time visiting, I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3. And I have the privilege of continuing a few weeks of a standalone series that we're in or standalone messages that we're in. Uh, And so last week for Just Brad, Brad chose to talk about Acts chapter 2 and what it looks like to be the church as just a standalone message. And just kind of a promo for next Sunday, we are doing our second family service Sunday, something that we tried and loved last year, just a few months ago, where our youth and our children's ministry all join us over here in the shed for a family service Sunday. And Piper, our children's pastor, and Trevor, our youth pastor, will be teaching for that message. So please be praying for Piper this week as she is dealing with Trevor on stage. And you all know how fun that is is, but um, looking forward to that. And so next Sunday, uh, the whole body of Christ together here in one place for both services, I'm looking forward to that. But for today, for just Jordan, the standalone message comes from a question that I've received quite a bit the last couple of months from individuals I've met with or talked to or had coffee with. And it's this question of what does it look like to surrender to God? You see, we've talked a lot the last year and a half, two years about surrender your life, surrender, surrender, just commit, just fully give in, dive in deep without recognizing that a lot of people who are new to the church or new to Christ or just perhaps don't recognize the language have asked, okay, but what does that mean? So that's what we are going to be talking about and walking through today. And the theme And focus passage for today comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. So if you want to turn with me there, it will also be on the screen. But as you're turning, just to give you some context and some history, the Gospel of Mark being the first one that was written and then passed around is also the shortest gospel. And it is one of the four testimonial accounts that we have of Jesus's life. Scholars believe that Matthew and Luke actually referenced Mark's gospel and then added or carried on the story, added to some of the details to the stories that we have. And that's part of why Mark's is shorter than Matthew and Luke's, but there's a lot of similar stories as well that we can learn from. And so Mark is writing his gospel about the testimony of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And where we're picking up our story is toward the tail end of Jesus's life prior to being handed over and crucified in Mark chapter 10. So this is what the gospel writer records. Verse 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, thank you so much for your word, for your scriptures, that we have the ability to be able to learn from them thousands of years later. God, we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts today so that we may understand the wonderful things of your law and that we may learn from it and apply it to our lives today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, on the surface of a story like that, it appears that it is just a story of Jesus healing a blind man, which in essence it is, but I want you to just hold that thought for a second and I want you to time travel with me back just a couple of years um, in my life prior to this date when I was a sophomore at North Park University. You see, I had spent quite a bit of time after my father passed figuring out where I wanted to study at. And it was very important to me that I found a Christian school so that I could pursue a life in ministry, but also I wanted to step away from Fort Wayne. I wanted to step away from some of the trauma that I had experienced through the loss and find place of healing. And little did I know that choosing a place in Chicago, Illinois, would be very different than Fort Wayne, Indiana. Different politically, different religiously, different philosophically in some ways. And so I was culturally shocked at the incredible diversity in ways of thinking ways of believing, ways of worshiping. And it was so good for me to be able to experience different lifestyles and ways of viewing scripture and ways of viewing politics and ways of viewing the world. In my sophomore year, a lot of my mentors and friends uh, call it kind of my year of most maturity and most growth, where I finally decided to pick up the Bible again, start going to church again, start spending time in prayer again, and put myself out there in community. And two of my best friends I had met just the first semester of sophomore year of college are still my best friends to this day. And so I dove in, and I wanted to surrender my life to Jesus. Now, I was very, like I said, particular about the university I chose, and I spent time in prayer, and I was adamantly against transferring, mostly because I saw my wife transfer four times. <laughs> I'm planning on a fourth one. <laughs> That's the joke I would always tell her. And so I was very adamantly against it and wanted to uh, submit to the life that I felt like God had called me to at North Park and learning. But after I started to spend more time with God in that season, there was a tugging on my heart like, okay, now it's time to take a step and trust. And I want you to apply for Anderson University where they have a Christian's ministry department, a little bit different than the theology and Bible studies department that was at North Park. And I want you to chase after me. And I was so against it at first. 
but I decided to take just a small step of faith and apply, hoping and knowing how good my high school GPA was, that no school would want someone with that average at their university. Little did I know that when you're transferring in college, they kind of reset your GPA based on your college grades. And so I ended up getting accepted with the highest scholarships available within 24 hours. And God said, now the ball's in your court. I'm asking you to transfer to AU. Didn't really understand why. Now I do. But I decided to throw in my hat and start chasing after God's whisper. I remember my last evening at North Park. I was sitting in my dorm room by myself just bawling my eyes out, frustrated and angry with what God was asking of me. And I had a very similar Bartimaeus-type story where I attempted to rip off my shirt, but for lack of muscle, just tossed it aside. And I said, God, if this is your will, then you've got to make this happen emotionally and spiritually because I don't want to go. And I ended up transferring and it was one of the best experiences I've had in spiritual development, spiritual growth, figuring out who I was and finding healing as I surrendered my life to God. So back to Bartimaeus, thousands of years before that North Park moment. I want to walk through kind of the historical context and the significance of what we see from a story of an individual who was begging, who knew about Jesus and then took a risk. So what we have is this experience where there's blind man who probably had heard multiple stories of this Jesus guy who had healed the sick, who had raised the dead, who had walked with the least of these and the marginalized and empowered and elevated women to positions of leadership. And he was going against the culture and the societal norms because he believed that the kingdom of God was going to impact this world for the better. But in order to do that, he needed to establish his kingdom on earth as in heaven through love, this upside-down kingdom. And so Bartimaeus most likely heard of these stories. So he's sitting there, and he's begging, and then Jesus with a large crowd comes by him, and he hears this Jesus guy talking and speaking and walking, and he says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds start to silence him and shush him. And he shouts all the more. I love how Mark includes that detail. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stops what he was doing. He turns to Bartimaeus and he says, call him. So Bartimaeus jumps up and throws his cloak aside. Now, friends, verse 50 don't want you to miss that crucial detail of the story. My opinion, it is arguably the most important piece of this entire chapter. Here's why. In Israelite culture, in Jewish custom, individuals who were begging used their cloak as a way to collect alms, a way to collect the finances, or a way to collect the materials that were being donated to them. So they would lay their cloak or their tunic on the ground in front of them, and that is how they would then collect that which was given to them. But a second detail was just as important about this cloak, what it represented. 
You see, being blind and being someone who was begging for a living, Bartimaeus had and owned very few materialistic things. Probably didn't, actually most likely didn't have a home, didn't have shelter. And so this cloak represented that protection from weather and the security. And it was one of his only possessions. And so it represented that which was his life. So Bartimaeus jumps up and he throws all of that to the side to run to Jesus. And here's why this is so significant. As I was talking to our executive pastor, Michael, this week about the message, he kind of shared with me this detail that I think is so important for us to recognize is that, in case you missed it, Bartimaeus was blind and it was a large crowd. If Jesus hadn't healed him, the odds of him finding his cloak again to go back to his old lifestyle was slim to none. Think about it this way. If you were at a concert and you were standing out at the festival and you had misplaced your jacket or your coat and you have your vision, it's still chaotic to find that which what you lost. But Bartimaeus was so confident that he would no longer need his previous lifestyle. He threw his cloak aside and he walked up to Jesus, chased after Jesus. And Jesus heals him. And this crucial word, this two-letter word, I don't want us to miss. He says, go. You've been healed. What does Bartimaeus do? He doesn't go back to his life of begging. No, he leaves that behind, and he follows Jesus along the road. With all of that in mind now, I want to time travel again. 30 verses before this story. You see, Mark intentionally put this story second. But there's a very important story that comes directly before it. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. You see, we actually have two examples of what it looks like to surrender to Jesus. One gets it right, one not so much. And so turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22 to see what Mark does in this passage. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Breaking that story down, you have a very different experience of a person who appeared to have had everything, chase after Jesus, run to Jesus, and says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. What does it say? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Honor your father and mother, etc." And the man responds, I have done all these things. 
And Jesus looks at him with love. I love this. He shares truth and love, and he says, but there's still one thing you lack. Go home and sell everything. And the man walked away, and his face fell because he had great wealth. And the requirements for following Jesus were too great for him, and it broke him. So what do these two stories have to do with surrendering to God? I wanted to compare the two stories and show them side by side in different ways so that we can open our eyes to see the two different responses of what it looks like for us to surrender to God. One with a rich ruler and one with a blind beggar. First, both approached Jesus. One had everything with him and everything he could possibly want, while the other had little. Furthermore, one wanted the source for eternal life as he's asking Jesus for this, and the other simply wanted to be healed. Jesus looked then at the rich ruler with love, and he looked at Bartimaeus with mercy. I love that. He looks at both in a special way. The rich ruler brought everything with him when approaching Jesus had all of this with him, while Bartimaeus instead left everything behind, threw all that he owned to the side to follow after Jesus. One man's face fell at the requirements for following Jesus, while the other's eyes were opened. One man walked away empty, while the other walked with Jesus restored. So friends, here's the question. What is the key difference between these two stories then? And it comes down to one word, humility. You see, humility is the prerequisite to following and surrendering your life to Jesus. We talk all the time about how you don't have to have your life entirely figured out and you don't have to have all of your sins conquered. In fact, it's Jesus who conquers and so it would be ignorant to think that you could approach the throne of Jesus being perfect. However, there is one prerequisite to following and surrendering your life to Jesus. And it's this word, humility. Humility. This is why James, actually the brother of Jesus, quotes in chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but favors the humble. You see, humility and selecting and establishing a posture of humility requires us to say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. I've messed up. My sin is too great for me to handle alone but there's someone who can save. You see, in these two stories, what's so fascinating about how each one ends before they transition to the second one, the first one with the rich man, directly after it's done and after Jesus walks through this situation with the rich ruler, the disciples, James and John, start arguing with one another and asking Jesus if they can sit at his right and left. 
They had just seen Jesus rebuke this rich follower, this rich man, and then they start arguing with each other. Okay, but Jesus, can we like, can we get like the highest seat up in heaven? And Jesus rebukes them. Well, you know what's fascinating about the second story and why I think Mark intentionally put these side by side is because after Jesus then heals Bartimaeus, you know what Jesus does? He lives out humility. Here's what happens. He goes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Why is this significant? Because kings rode into the city of that which they were conquering or ruling on a horse. Horses represented war and chivalry, while donkeys represented peace and humility. So Jesus was showing what it looks like to fully surrender a life to God. So friends, here's the question. How do you then fully surrender to God? The answer Throw your cloak aside. Now, please interpret that figuratively, okay? I want everyone fully clothed walking out of church today. I didn't tell first service that, and we almost had an issue, okay? (laughs) Throw your cloak aside. For some of us, our cloak may be chasing after wealth. But... For a lot of us, that's just the easy one our brains kind of turn to. For some of us, our cloak may be pride, may be gluttony. For some of us, our cloak may be some type of sin or addiction that's consuming us. For some, it may be a different type of idol, such as technology. For some, it may be that we've just lost the discipline of spending time alone with God. Here's what I know to be true about fully surrendering to God and throwing our cloak aside, is that it's not supposed to be easy. And so if there's something in your brain that you're like, I can do that, you probably need to take it a step further. Because it's supposed to cost us something. In fact, I was reading a book last night and the author had this line that I loved. He said, Christian currency is sacrifice. The way that we spend and receive our money is through sacrifice. That's how we show our life as a Christ follower. And there's nothing easy about this. Surrendering to Jesus is supposed to be extremely difficult, but the reward is oh so satisfying. This is why in John chapter 6, as Jesus is first starting his walk in life and his walk in ministry, he's calling all of his disciples, and he's got these large amount of disciples following after him, and then he starts teaching about the bread of life, and he starts teaching about the requirements of following him, and what it looks like to fully surrender to Jesus. And then you know what happens? A large amount of the disciples look to Jesus, and they say, this message is too difficult. Who can follow these words? And they turn away and they walk away from Jesus. And Jesus looks at the 12 disciples and he says, everyone else has left. Do you want to leave too? And they turn to him and they say, Lord, where else would we go? We surrender, we've left everything behind, 
and now we are walking with you. I want to put this back up again. Humility is the prerequisite for following Jesus. So friends, here's how I want to close today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, arguably one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture. Okay, Jesus is once again, we have just had the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and so Jesus is giving all of these different, um, beati- known as the Beatitudes, and he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are suffering. And then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I want to read that again. Not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the will of the Father? To love the least of these. To serve those who are being persecuted to be generous, to surrender our life to Jesus, to commit fully to his word, to commit fully to when he asks you to do something, you go. To throw our cloak aside, to say, you know what, God? You are so worth the sacrifice. Friends, here's the reality. Too many of us, myself included, and I felt a little hypocritical talking about this today because I knew the type of week I had was filled with distractions and was filled with struggles. I did not spend very much time in the scriptures. I did not spend very much time in prayer. I watched a lot of basketball and ate a lot of junk food. I spent a lot of time on my phone And it felt like God was kind of just pushed aside. Here's the reality, friends. Surrender needs to be an everyday, every moment occurrence. It can't just be a decision that you make. You wake up and you say, you know what? I'm good for the rest of my life. What this looks like in action is every day, every situation saying, you know what? Today I'm giving God my everything. I'm going to surrender this. I'm going to sacrifice that. I am going to put my needs before no one. And I'm going to love the least of these and empower the powerless and walk with those who are struggling. I'm going to be generous today. I'm going to serve others today. And then you know what? Give yourself grace when it doesn't happen and start fresh the next day. That's what surrender looks like. I think too many of us have become Christ followers who are going through the motions. So you know what? I had a bad week last week. And so tomorrow, actually, as soon as this is done, it starts fresh. I'm going to rest well. I'm going to serve well. I'm going to bless well. And I'm going to live well. All because I am living a life of sacrifice. That's what I'm committing to. When I make it to Tuesday and I struggle and I mess up, I'm going to start again on Wednesday. Continuing to throw my cloak aside. I ask that you consider the same. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, thank you so much for this message, for these people, for your body, for, the, for, the, for Christ becoming human so that we may live. Holy Spirit, come, fill this place, fill our hearts. 
Place on our hearts what it is that which we are called to surrender, to throw aside, to chase after you. In your name I pray.